0: We've been into the Gospel of Luke for a while now, and uh, boy, the Lord just keeps, keeps revealing through uh, Luke's Gospel his, 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 uh, the, his weight, his intent, his desire for us to, to learn. And we got a very familiar story on one hand this morning, one that most of us, many of us in this setting uh, would know, and, and, uh, and yet I have decided not to even try to illustrate it. But simply to try to retell it in some ways this morning, because I think the details are so uh, significant. And frankly, even as the week went on, I, I kept, it's a little bit like a diamond. I kept looking at this text from different points of view to the point that by the time I got to the end of the week, I wasn't sure what the main point was. Not only what the main point that Jesus was trying to make, but what main point would I try to make from this. But I promise you, there are about 10 or 12 that you'll be able to get out of the message this morning if you're listening. So the, the, the messages are there, but the depth and the gravity of this text is so, uh, is so enormous. So let's think about this again. This lawyer comes to Jesus, and I'm sure that he knows his stuff. He's studied He's a smart man. He knows the law of God. He knows the scriptures. He's got some answers. And and he comes, though, with, with a problem in his own heart because the text says that he wants to trip Jesus up. And so he knows the question he asked Jesus is not an easy one to answer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That sounds, on one hand it's easy, but on another level it's incredibly complicated and there are a lot of ways we can get tripped up along the way. But Jesus is smart too. Okay? And he answers with a question. He answers and he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now what comes next, in a way... As the gospel writers tell this story is a bit surprising because the lawyer who is this villain of sorts in our text answers perfectly. He gets the answer right. It's very good. He ties together two Old Testament passages. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. And then another passage found in Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's reading and synthesizing this Old Testament scripture and answers very insightfully with this heartful message that as Katie has already pointed out to us is central to what the gospel is about an amazing answer. And try as you might, you'll not find a better one. And Jesus, in fact, gives the man full credit. Notice verse 28. He says, you have answered correctly. (laughs) Then he said, do this and you will live. Now, is that the other shoe dropping? because wow, that's challenging he certainly moves the man from thinking to acting from knowing to doing there's more to the answer than knowing something being smart is not enough. You need to act on what you know. So at this point, the smart lawyer is faced with this dilemma, and it's not just his dilemma. It seems to me that it's everyone who really looks at Jesus and who looks at themselves. The man Can either explain away his actions or he can make some changes. And how many of us are caught exactly on the horns of that dilemma? What does he do in this turning point in our text, verse 29. He takes this route. He wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus launches into a beautiful, beautiful story. It's the first parable in the Gospel of Luke. And this morning, for just a moment, I want you to choose a character from the story. So we'll kind of all get engaged in this. And there are several. The story is so detailed and so engaging that you might find yourself within, in, within any number of people within the story. But here are your five to choose from. You get to pick one of these. Are you a victim? That is the one who was in the ditch and needed the bandaging and needed the oil and needed the inn and needed somebody to take care of them. Are you the church leader? That is the priest or the Levite? And maybe you're not even a church leader but you act like one, so to speak. Maybe you're the owner of the bed and breakfast, that innkeeper. He's kind of an interesting, intriguing person in the story, and I'll help you to see why in just a moment. I've labeled the Samaritan the good foreigner. Is that you? Or are you the last guy, the smart one, the lawyer? himself. Did everybody get to pick one? How many of you have picked one? Come on, raise your hand. Alright, you got some. But how many are not unsure? How many of you see yourself in several of them? Alright. First, if you're the victim, I'm sorry for your hurts. I'm sorry for your wounds. and for the ways that you're experiencing loss. But I want you also to know from the first words of Jesus' story, most of those listening would not have had a lot of sympathy for you. they would have recognized how stupid you were for taking that section of road from Jerusalem to Jericho by yourself. Everyone knew it was dangerous. Thieves would hide in the caves, along the curves and along the cliffs and ambush unsuspecting travelers. So it was a route you or anyone else should not travel alone. But you were alone. So it's natural for others, for us to think to ourselves, this guy is getting what he deserves. Or, as Forrest Gump's mama once said, stupid is as stupid does. Therefore it would be the rare person who will make the choice to take the detour, to come alongside you in your self-destructive choices to get in the ditch with you and take such enormous risk to help you. So I leave you with this question this morning why were you walking alone such a dangerous path? Now, if you're one of the priests or the Levites, and I don't know how many of us want to quickly identify with those guys, you know? We kind of know a little too much about the story to say, yeah, that's me. But some of you are church leaders or, or aspiring to be. So, but some of us just are priests and Levites by nature. But let me put a little different light on these guys. Sometimes they get a bad rap. I mean, I got to justify it a bit, right? Look at me. (laughs) I mean, sometimes they deserve it. But what we moderns might not understand is that the priest and Levite had to stay clean. That is, they could not touch a dead body or body fluids for that matter and then do their job in the synagogue. So you want to keep things clean and easy as the law requires. Here's another way of stating the situation. Church leaders have allowed our laws at times to take precedent over people, but it's a hard balance. I want to tell you day to day this is a hard thing. Both God's law have standards, God's law has standards, and the congregation needs standards. And yet it's the force of the text seems to be saying, be careful that our church rules don't become more important than the needs of people. And that seems obvious as well. Though a hard line to walk. So you priests and Levites, you church leaders, you may not be able to help everyone, but you need to ask yourself some questions as it pertains to especially your own indifference. That is look around, ask yourself who Am I walking by? Now how about that innkeeper? He's been put in a little bit of a difficult spot. He's got a small business to run. It's hard. There's all kinds of difficulties that make that tough to keep stay in business. He's got income and expenses. And this good foreigner comes in and says he's going to return and cover the cost and pay all the bills incurred. But what if he doesn't return? At the moment, the innkeeper, you are like many who follow Jesus. You feel the cost of following without fully and always in the present receiving the rewards of following. Ministry, service is costly, and it may cost you. You may feel like sometimes you serve, and you serve, and you serve, and you you end up with the bill. So, the innkeeper, if I had to reframe his situation, his question is this Will you trust God to take care of you in your service? All right, let's move the story along. We've got the good foreigner, that is the Samaritan, and he had. Remember just a few weeks ago, Jesus had just finished a terrible encounter with the Samaritans. You remember the one where James and John wanted to cast down fire from heaven because Jesus had tried to go through Samaria and and just they had not welcomed him. He received no hospitality for the night. And so using the foreign Samaritan as the hero in the story is again quite provoking. So if you're the Samaritan, I want to say this to you. Though you're doing good, this doesn't mean that you aren't despised for all your other stuff that you and your people have done in the past. And I believe the Master is telling us that even with your distorted understanding of your faith, Samaritan, with your distorted understanding of Scripture, You have reflected the heart of the Father more accurately than one who keeps the law and misses the heart of God. And we see the tie of your character and actions to the upcoming cross of Christ. You see, the man in the story who is most despised becomes the caring savior. And the good Samaritan is like Jesus himself who paid every cost associated with healing the hurt and the broken. The text says in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. How did this good foreigner get it so right? All right, one more in our text. And that's the smart guy, the lawyer. I want to tell you, if you're that guy, there are a lot of those guys running around. I'm that guy way too often. So I I kind of know them, kind of sniff them out here and there. Smart as you are, don't mess with Jesus. He is both smarter than you and wiser than you. Your problem at root is like millions and millions of modern people in this country today. Your confidence is in what you know or you think you know rather than in what you do. But he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus and who is my neighbor? You will not be able to justify yourself ultimately before Jesus. None of us can. Try to justify yourself and you will come up short. This man, every man, every woman, every child that tries to look to themselves to prove their goodness will fall short. You see the gospel is embedded deeply within this story. Only God's mercy and grace. And Jesus is going to call you out so that you can see that mercy and grace. And he operates on a different plane of reality. And so the parable forces a question. Not, not what do I believe. But what am I going to do? And how will I live and love my neighbor? Now you remember the original questions that prompted the parable? There's so many details in here that it's easy to get lost on that along the way. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And who is my neighbor? And I believe that each of these questions, presented in the way that they are presented, is looking for the bare minimum. What's the bare minimum that I can do? What is the least I can do for God or for others? And I want to suggest that that line of reasoning is inconsistent with the very character of the God we serve. Life is not to be reduced to a checklist. begin again this morning, with the overflowing grace and mercy extended to us. Let me give you an illustration from Dr. Martin Luther King. He famously said it this about this parable on the parable of the Good Samaritan, I imagine that the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? I think we can do that even on a church level. If I stop to help this man, what will happen to this church? But by the very nature of his concern, the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? I believe that gets at the heart of the matter. Our temptation again and again is to make it about me. The other looks at it from the heart of God. What does Luke want us to get from Jesus' words? We're confronted with this truth. Jesus' story defines the neighbor love like few other examples have ever illustrated. Maybe the greatest illustration is this story except for his own hanging on the cross. The greatest act of being a neighbor. Neighbor love refuses to draw boundaries, to qualify people for care, Neighbor love prioritizes compassion over religious rules. Isn't that what our text is telling us? Neighbor love does the ordinary things that are both concrete and costly for the sake of others. I put it this way. I don't know if it was my best effort. I played around with how to summarize it several different times but go ahead and put up the next slide there that rather than finding ways to keep others on the outside this is what this parable is telling us you are invited by God's immeasurable mercy to become a compassionate neighbor to all Let's finish with the verses 36 and 37 once again. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? To the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert in the law replied, again his answer was amazing the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the invitation for today.